Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. You can use a Bible there in the pew rack in front of you if you don't have yours. Uh, but click to turn yours on or open it or however you need to, to do it. I'm going to tell you about a man named Bill. Bill was born uh, in 1810. Bill was. He, his family was of uh, German and English descent. He was born way up in uh, upstate New York. Uh, his family had uh, immigrated to the U.S. in the early 1700s. Uh, Bill married a, his first wife, Eliza. They had uh, five children. Bill was uh, quite a character. Uh, Bill once bragged, I cheat my boys every chance I get. I want to make them sharp. That was one of his uh, ways he raised his children, was to cheat them out of money. He was uh, a known con man. In the midst of having the five children with his wife, he had uh, two children with their housekeeper. Um, then later on in, uh, in, in years, let me get his new name right, he moved to Canada and uh, changed his name and started going around as Dr. Oh, let's see if I can find it. Oh, I can't find it now. Um, anyway, he, he gave himself a promotion, quite the promotion, made himself a doctor. He wasn't a doctor. Uh, he was a con man. He sold snake oil. He uh, would... Uh, loan money to farms. Um, uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was loaning money to farms at 12% interest in the mid-1800s, 12% interest. He would intentionally find farms that uh, he knew couldn't pay back so that he could then uh, have, foreclose on them, claim their land, turn around and sell it, make money. Uh, he was known in, in the, his, uh, where he grew up as Devil Bill. Uh, you can certainly hear why. Bill had a son named John. Uh, Eliza, Bill's wife, was as devout a Baptist as uh, Bill was not devout. They were quite the two extremes, uh, and she raised all of her children, uh, but John as well, to follow the faith and to uh, be prudent, uh, to uh, pay attention to detail, to, to be thrifty, and so John was, and around the age of 20 or so, John struck out on his own to start his own business. He had to borrow some money from his dad to do it, uh, borrowed $1,000, which was something like $10,000 back then he had to borrow to, to start this business, and it was a, a produce business, and he he worked that and was efficient at it and did well and sold it and, and, and went to partnership here and uh, started uh, another business and, and, and some more folks and he was big on, he would borrow the money and he would uh, grow this business, turn around and sell it. Anyway, he kept doing that until he started a company called uh, Standard Oil. Uh, John was John Rockefeller. Uh, his dad was Bill Rockefeller. John Rockefeller uh, gave away something like 
$500 million of his money. Now, that was $500 million then. He, John Rockefeller is, is largely considered to be the richest man that, that lived, at least certainly in the modern era, based on his, his wealth uh, as compared to the time. He owned, his wealth was about 15 to 2% of the entire U.S. economy. One man owned one and a half to two percent of the entire U.S. economy. Incredible philanthropist. He gave away, like I said, millions and millions of dollars. Now, he had his issues. Uh, he was not the most highly regarded businessman. Uh, he was considered to use a number of uh, devious tactics to grow his businesses and uh, probably did. But uh, he gave away his money because of his faith and, and making sure that even when he died, uh, a lot of his money was given away rather than just be passed down. It's quite a stretch in a lot of ways from Bill Rockefeller to John Rockefeller. Uh, there's, there's some good comparisons we could make to say, well, kind of took over his daddy's business, didn't he, with his whole, you know, if you read some of the histories and how he would undercut prices over here and create a monopoly on the shipping of the oil, and, and he owned, at one point, 90% of all oil in the world, not just the U.S., in the world, he owned all of that, that much oil. He, he was good at what he did. But as I said, he, he gave so much away. He was a teetotaler, never drank, never smoked, uh, generally a good guy, we would say. Far extremes. His family tree uh, did not dictate who he was in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, it did. He was a product of his parents. Obviously, he was a product of his mama, his business acumen, whether it was cheating or not, he got from his dad. But in a lot of ways also, it didn't require him to be a certain way. And he might have been, at some point, a little ashamed of his uh, lineage, a little ashamed especially of his dad's reputation. Uh, when his dad moved to Canada and changed his name, he got married again. Notice I never mentioned anything about a divorce uh, he was a bigamist. He had a couple of wives. He had a couple of children by then. Just not a great guy. John Rockefeller was married to the same woman for 50, 60 years. Rockefeller said when he was a kid, he had two goals in life. Make $100,000, which then was about a million or so, and live to be 100. He died just a few days short of his 98th birthday. And when he died, he was worth... Uh, 400 billion dollars in today's money so uh, I think he, he got one of the goals and I think he made up for missing the other goal by, by two years your family tree affects you but your family tree is not who you are this morning we're going to look at Jesus's family tree it's an interesting passage to preach uh, if you were here Sunday night last week for our uh, uh, case for Christmas study, I said I was going to preach on a genealogy, which sounds like an incredibly boring sermon. I hope that's not the case, because uh, I, found, I, I found it profoundly interesting to, to look at these people that are mentioned. 
But not only is it not boring because of just the interesting history, but God put this in his word for a reason. And we've got to figure out what that reason is. The, these uh, words, these, these people aren't here as filler. Well, we've got to give a little background here so they kind of catch up with where we are. We haven't talked about anything since, uh, since Malachi, so we need to go ahead and, all right, catch them up and talk. No, no, there's, there's more to it than that. These folks are here for a reason, and we need to understand what that reason is. So we're going to look at Jesus' family tree. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, give us that... Uh, that family tree. It says, An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. And if you're thinking, is he really going to read the whole thing? Uh-huh. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Ammon. Ammon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abiud, Abiud fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, uh, Zadok. Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Eliud, Eliud fathered, uh, fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Methan, Methan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. Again, it's not for no reason, I know that was bad grammar, it's not for no reason that Matthew put this in here. As boring as it may seem to read, and even more boring to hear someone else read out loud, there's a reason God has this in here. Well, we need to do a little background first. We need to understand the, the Messiah and where he was supposed to come from. Understand some things about the Messiah. Our Sunday school lesson well, it talked about that this morning. Uh, and there were going to be a couple of options this year as I'm, uh, for my Christmas series. One of the series that I was thinking about preaching was Jesus in Isaiah. There are four good passages that talk about Jesus Seven, eight hundred years before he came, and I almost wish I'd done that one since we kicked it off with this morning in Sunday school with Isaiah, but I'm glad we did this one uh, instead, too. But we need to understand the Messiah here. Uh, first of all, the Messiah must come from David and Abraham. I mean, it must come first from the Jewish line, which would be Abraham, and he was promised to come from uh, the Davidic uh, line, the Davidic king line of David. So, right off the bat, First verse, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. 
That's his purpose. That's his goal. That's who he's talking to here as he writes. So he is very, very Jewish in how he explains things. He says things that he uh, anticipates the people listening will just understand because of their Jewishness. Luke, on the other hand, is a very Gentile-oriented gospel. We are pretty sure Luke was a Gentile. Um, so it has that flavor to it. It's, he explains things that if Jews were reading it, they'd go, you don't have to explain that. It's kind of like uh, somebody writing, from, uh, a Louisianan writing for New York, uh, New Yorkers trying to explain what's in jambalaya. Everybody that from Louisiana that reads it, like, you don't have to tell me there's chicken and sausage and rice in the jambalaya. I got it. Uh, Jace, my five-year-old, understands it. Jace, what do you want for supper tonight? I want chicken and sausage with rice and spices on it. Jambalaya, that's what he wanted for supper. So I mean, even a five-year-old transplant to Louisiana understands that. So we'd all say, well, why are you explaining jambalaya? A lot of Jewish readers of Luke would say, well, why are you explaining these things? He's writing to Gentiles. Matthew doesn't explain them. Matthew says a lot of things that he just expects his readers to get immediately. And a lot of it they would have. Some of it they would have to have, have had to have had. They would need that to be explained to them. That was a much way easier way of saying that. <clears throat> but most of it they would have gotten. So it has to come from Abraham. It has to come from David. The Messiah does. He covers that in verse 1. Uh, part of this is that it fulfills the promise to Abraham that his descendants, one of his descendants, his seed, will bless all people groups, all nations, all ethnicities. We, we, we hear that word nations, we think countries, but when they heard nations, they heard people groups. They didn't have the borders like we have quite uh, as, as uh, uh, defined today. They thought of people groups instead of uh, 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 states or uh, countries. So it's going to fulfill that promise. Uh, Matthew is going to explain throughout his book, but he starts here, that Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies. The, the Messiah must fulfill those Old Testament. Oop, did I go away when I moved? Uh, the Messiah must fulfill Old Testament prophecies, and he's going to cover those as he moves through here. Uh, he's going to use, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he's going to use the phrase, uh, as it was written or um, as it was told a number of times as he moves through his gospel. So the Messiah has to do that. The, he, he begins an account of the, the, the genealogy. Um, that, that phrase, an account of the genealogy, would actually be better translated book of origins. It's the same way John begins his uh, gospel in the beginning, in beginning, in, in, uh, in gnosis, in the genesis. Interestingly enough, it's the way the book of Genesis begins in the beginning, in Genesis. Matthew, John, they understood that Jesus is coming. Jesus' incarnation, this birth we celebrate, introduced an entirely new era to the world. So much so that he changed the calendar. I mean, we, as, uh, as, as, as Christendom, base our dates off of his birth now rather than some other marker in the past. Something else that the Messiah must do 
which is one of the reasons he goes through this genealogy, is it reenacts, the history reenacts, no, the Messiah reenacts Israel's history with a better ending. There, there's going to, uh, uh, we're going to climb from Abraham to David as we move through this, genera- uh, uh, this uh, genealogy, and then we're going to come back down as we get to the exile, the, the low point, and then we're going to get to Jesus the Messiah, who's going to be a higher point than David was. And that's, that's how this genealogy moves. And it's a reenactment. It, it's an explanation of, this is what we've done, Israel, my people, Matthew would say. This is what we've done, y'all. This is who we are. But let me tell you how Jesus fixes all of that. And ultimately, what we're going to see here is that Jesus just has a funky family tree. He has got some characters, uh, some folks that would make uh, Bill Rockefeller proud of who was back here in this mix. Now let's, now let's talk about the family tree briefly itself. The family tree does not include everyone. Um, there are a lot of gaps. There are gaps of kings uh, in, in here. There are times when uh, Matthew refers to cousins or uncles as brothers, using the term brother as family. Um, When he says fathered, he does not necessarily mean the father directly of. Uh, I'm directly the father of Jamie. No, he's, what he means is uh, they are the reason Jamie was born or the sons were born. So it could just as easily be my great-great-great-great-grandson. I fathered my great-great-great-great-grandson. How did I do that? Well, I'm one of the reasons, anyway, he exists. And in a family tree, it might only be necessary, or in a genealogy like this, it might only be necessary to say, Michael fathered this great-great-great-great-grandson, whatever his name might be. So there, there are gaps in here, and that's okay, because he is not making a historical point. He's making a theological point. He's showing particular events in history by mentioning uh, certain people. It would be like if when when you get together at Thanksgiving or uh, uh, Christmas with extended family, and there's an an uncle, or we all have the crazy uncle, right? Uh, Or a grandfather or somebody that everybody knew, and all you have to do sitting around the table is, y'all remember old Bill? And everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He laughed. Now, maybe laughing at all different stories, but everybody knows when you bring Bill, maybe it's Bill Rockefeller in, in John's case, and when you bring Bill up, everybody knows, oh, yeah, boy, that, he was something, wasn't he? Every time. Remember, Matthew's writing to people who should, will know what he's talking about. So when he says, you remember Isaac, you remember Jacob, everybody's going, yeah, we remember them. We know about those characters. So that's what he's doing, a, a theological point. They're actually, even in his list, there aren't 14 generations. Some of, them, some of the groupings have 13. You have to count this name twice to get 14. You have to not count that name twice in the next group to get 14. So he's not even making a, a mathematical point. Matthew could count. It's not that he didn't know what 14 was. He's making a point. 14 generations, the best explanation we can come up with is 14's uh, a 14 is two sevens. Seven is an extremely important number in the Bible. I'm not one of those uh, guys that believes every number in the Bible is important. It's like, oh, it, you know, it had, no, no. But seven certainly is. And you have 
three groups of 14. Math majors, how many sevens is that? Six. That's right, it's six sevens. Well, what would make that complete? Seventh seven, right? Who introduces the seventh seven? Jesus. The fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. In the fullness of time, Jesus came, the New Testament tells us, in other places. So these 14 generations, Matthew is saying, it was time. It was time for the Messiah to come. And Matthew's genealogy, if you flip over, you don't have to flip over to Luke uh, 3, I think, you see another genealogy, and they don't match. In some places they do, and in some places they diverge wildly, and in other places they, they're just, it's just crazy. What's the difference? Well, there are a number of different theories. Uh, I think two of the best ones are that Matthew is tracing a royal line down through who was king, who is, or who should be king, or could be king if they still had a kingdom. Luke was chase, tracing a family line, so uh, it was, this was actual genealogy. This is actually who became king and who could be king. Uh, I think that's kind of weak, uh, personally. I'm no scholar, but based on what I've read. Uh, the second option is that Matthew follows Joseph's line because Matthew's gospel is very focused on Joseph. Luke follows Mary's line. Mary, uh, Luke was very focused on on uh, Luke was very focused on Mary. So when it gets down to Joseph here in Matthew, there was a custom that if the son, the the uh, the husband, the 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 fiance of of my daughter, if if he if his parents were dead, then not only would he marry my daughter. But then I would also adopt him into my family so that he became my son in two different, two different ways. And this creates a very interesting picture of Jesus being the Messiah by blood through Mary, the line of David, but also by adoption through Joseph, who was also of the line of David, and being adopted in this family. So Jesus, in my humble opinion, was double messiahed. He was double uh, family treed to be the Messiah by birth through Luke's genealogy and by adoption through Joseph's genealogy. And here we have the Messiah. So that's the, some of the background. Now, what are all these crazy people in here? Some of these folks we know, right? Abraham, uh, if we've spent any time in, in church at all, we've, we've learned of Abraham. I'm not going to talk about a lot of history for uh, all of these. I'm not going to talk a lot of history for any of them, but uh, I'm going to skip some. We've got Abraham, and we see his son Isaac. What's the th one thing we know about Isaac that was at least for a genealogy, is most important. He was not firstborn. He was not Abraham's firstborn son. Already we've got issues with this family tree. We're talking about kingship. We're talking about Messiah. Shouldn't the family tree be pristine, especially for the Son of God to be born into it? And already we've messed up. We got Abraham with the whole uh, Ishmael thing and Hagar. And then the second son is actually the chosen son of Abraham, Isaac. Well, Isaac has two sons of his own, Jacob and Esau. Esau came first. Jacob came second. And who does the line come through? Jacob, the second born, not the first born. We've already got issues, y'all. This is already messed up. 
up. It should have been Ishmael. I mean, really, there shouldn't have been an Ishmael at all, right? Abraham was disobedient. Well, we got that issue. Abraham, chosen by God, who would uh, have seed, who would have a child that blesses all nations. Abraham repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly messed up. I got it, God. I'll take care of it now, God. Oh, you, oh, promise that. Got it. Kids, got it. I've got all these things. Oh, well, we're going to this other country, Egypt. Well, she's not my wife. She's my sister. I'm going to do that again. I mean, over and over and over, Abraham showed a lack of faith until it came time to sacrifice Isaac. That's another sermon. We can't get bogged down there. Jacob, not the firstborn. The next one in the, uh, in the uh, genealogy is Tamar. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Quite a story in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis 39, I think. I'm not going to be able to give you all the references to all these stories. Genesis 39. There was a law for the early Israelites, and, and even for the later ones, because the, the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up by using this law in, in a, a question. Uh, there was a law that said if a brother... A man married a woman, and he died, and there were no kids. If that man had a brother, that brother married the woman and had kids with her. And those children inherited the name and all the stuff of the dead brother. This guy was just a donor, and he was just giving his brother children as all he was. They don't carry his, don't carry his name. He's got to then, if he's got another wife, that's the one that, that carries his name and his stuff. That was the law, and it would keep happening. And if you remember, the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up. Happened five times, I think it was. Who's married in heaven? Or the Sadducees, rather. Sorry. Sadducees. Who, who's married in heaven? That's another sermon. Tamar, though... She, Judah had a son, married Tamar. He died, no children. Uh, and the Bible says he was evil and God killed him. Another son of Judah's marries Tamar to fulfill the vow. He was evil, God killed him. Judah apparently knew, you know what? My kids ain't the greatest, uh, so I'm not going to uh, give her my third son. He was too young at the time, but he promised when he grows up, I'll let you marry him. He can fulfill this, this, uh, this vow. He didn't do it. So when Tamar heard that Judah was coming from his home to, to travel through, his wife had died, to travel through this town, uh, she dressed up like a prostitute. She was still in mourning, uh, but she dressed up like a prostitute. She hung out at the, uh, the gate of the city. Judah saw her, said, let's go. Uh, and he said, she said, what are you going to give me? He said, I'll pay you a goat, but i got to have it sent from my flock. She said, well, I need some sort of down payment. Gave her, her his ring, his staff, and uh, his uh, a cord, a rope, like his belt. Uh, he said, all right. Well, she took it. She put on her mourning clothes, uh, her not when you get up, her black clothes, because she was in mourning, um, put them back on, he, asked to, uh, he sent the goat, going to pay for it, where's this prostitute, we don't have one like that, oh well, alright, whatever, I did my part, and he goes on, a few months later she finds out she's pregnant, everybody else finds out, oh, you need to come kill your daughter, your daughter-in-law, she's been playing the harlot, and he's like, well, let's stone her, and she says, okay, sure, that's fine, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant with the children the child of this guy and Judas oh that's my stuff and uh, he said we're not killing her she's 
actually more honest than I am. I didn't fulfill the vow. That's how she got pregnant. So Tamar's son is her father-in-law's son. Except she had twins. Baby number one pokes his arm out at birth. They tie a string around his arm. Well, he pulls it back in. And the other baby comes out first. Y'all can go read this. I think it's Genesis 39. Other baby comes out first. So the one who pokes his arm out first, he's considered the firstborn. And the secondborn comes out first. Anyway, that's Perez. And Perez, if you're confused, good. That's Perez. That's the guy. God, couldn't it have been easier? Couldn't it have just been the third son, married Tamar, had a kid, and we're on with the things? No, no. See? See? Isn't this fun? Oh, by the way, Tamar was also Canaanite, so she was foreign. She wasn't even of the correct family line, uh, of the correct ethnicity for them. Then we come on down the list, blah, 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 blah. We get to Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute of Jericho. Uh, as a matter of fact, she probably owned a house of ill repute. Considering where it was located, that she was on the wall, she was probably the madam of this, uh, this, this house of ill repute. And here she is. She's credited to be the, it's not mother, her, her husband Salmon did not father Boaz too many years. Here's where one of those gaps are. But she, the next important person, great, 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 whatever, grandson, uh, is uh, Boaz, and here's this prostitute in Jesus's, in Jesus's line. So far, so far we've got uh, not firstborns. We have uh, a, a very faithless Abraham uh, numerous times. We have one woman who pretended to be a prostitute, one woman who was a prostitute. Oh, by the way, she was Canaanite. She was foreign, so she, didn't, she wasn't who the family would have picked out. Next, let's skip on down to, uh, right after this, Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from Moab. Moabs were foreigners. Uh, they were actually cousins, but it was still in an enemy country. And they were the result of the incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. Go read it. It's in there. I'm not making this stuff up. That's in the family line of Jesus. Are you getting this picture of a funky family tree? Of an undesirable family tree? Who brags about this stuff? Well, you know, <laughs> I got a grandma. She's a prostitute. Yeah, nobody, nobody brings that up at Thanksgiving. Okay, next let's jump down just right up. Jesse fathered uh, Salmon, fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Ruth uh, uh, by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered uh, King David. And now we have reached, uh, we're about to reach the pinnacle. But, but let's see uh, where the child came from. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Bat poor Bathsheba doesn't even get a name mentioned. But you don't have to say Bathsheba's name. All you got to say is David and Uriah's wife. And everybody knows what you're talking about. That's one of those that nobody laughed when that was mentioned at Thanksgiving. Oh, David, it was, oh, yeah, David. Um, that's what they would do. Now, Bathsheba is an adulteress, an adulterer. I mean, David is clearly responsible 
Uh, we could talk about that for a while, but we won't. But, but clearly responsible. Do you say no to the king when he says, come to my house? Maybe, maybe you don't. But she's all, not only is she this uh, adulteress, uh, the firstborn of their relationship died. David had older children than Solomon, but Solomon was the chosen of that family. Um, Bathsheba was a Hittite, maybe. She was married to a Hittite. It's actually possible based on her name, we've talked about this before, that she was black or African. So she did not fit the family tree at all. She wasn't even supposed to be the, the, the wife of David. He had wives already. And then it mentions David, the king, uh, King David, the zenith of Israel's history. And he was an adulterer and a murderer and any number of things when you uh, read the history. And yet, we know he was a man after God's own heart. He was the apple of God's eye. We, we see that. So we know the Messiah had to come from this guy, this guy. I mean, that, that's, now we really start uh, uh, ramping up the Messiah language in the Bible. The, the son of David. I mean, the promise is made after uh, uh, David's adultery has been pointed out. And after we've gone through all of that, it, the promise is made. But a, a child of yours will never leave the throne. You will have an eternal throne. The Messiah is coming from you, David, with all of your issues and hang-ups. Solomon, not the firstborn, not even close, and he was a womanizer. Takes after his daddy, but he's going to do it better, right? That was Solomon. He was also not a great leader, great king. I mean, he taxed him into oblivion. He was not the nicest guy, apparently, and yet here he is, right in Jesus' family line. His son, uh, Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam was a bad king. Uh, Rehoboam split the kingdom. Now we go from one kingdom of Israel. David, Saul was the king. David was the king. Solomon was the king. Now we split the kingdom into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Rehoboam was responsible for that. Actually, God was, because that was the promise that was, gonna, that was made. Your kingdom will be split because of your, your sin. His mother was an Ammonite, another enemy. So we're bringing in all sorts of folks from the outside who probably you didn't want to talk about. Then we move through a bunch of kings. Abijah, we're told, was not devoted to God. Joram was evil. Did what was evil in the sight of the Lord is how kings will say, the, the book of Kings will say it. Ahaz was evil. We talked about him in Sunday school this morning too. Ahaz sacrificed his own son in the flames to appease false gods. That's evil, y'all. Manasseh. Manasseh is widely considered the most evil of the kings of Judah. Ammon, his son, was evil. I'm waiting for the good kings. They're in there. Asa was a good king. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Joram, Uzziah, these were good guys. Well, Joram wasn't, sorry. Uh, Joram was evil. Uzziah was good. And it's, it's back and forth. But don't you just think, God, can't you leave the, the bad ones out? I mean, that's what we do, right? Again, we, we don't, 
and we never talk about grandma being a prostitute at Thanksgiving. We never talk about, even, even when we laugh at old crazy uncle, what's his name? We only laugh at the truly funny stuff. We don't laugh at the stuff that, well, you just don't talk about it in polite company. You know, we, we, we don't bring those things up. He was a horse thief. He was a, a, a murderer. He was this. He was that. We don't talk about those things. And here, God puts them in the Bible. Next one, uh, Jeconiah, your uh, translation uh, might have uh, Jehoiachin instead of Jeconiah. Probably the same guy. Here, Matthew uses one name to kind of reference two or three different kings. This is one of those places also where he uh, references and says brothers, but what he means is uncles, but they are brothers in their brotherhood of, of Judaism or brotherhood of, of kingship. Jeconiah is that nadir of Israel's history. If David's the zenith, Jeconiah is the nadir. He is the worst point. Uh, he was evil as a king. He was evil as a, a follower of God. He lost Jerusalem. This is where the exile happened. Uh, he made some bad calls that ended up losing Jerusalem to the Babylonians. It was going to happen anyway. God had promised. Jeremiah told him, don't worry about it. It's coming. But still, he made some decisions that made sure it happened. And Jeconiah was the last of the Davidic kings. Didn't know it at the time, but suddenly, there's not going to be a Davidic king on the throne. Now, wait a minute, God. You promised David through Nathan that there would always be a Davidic king on the throne. What's happening? God is just waiting for the fullness of time. He's waiting for the next 14 generations. Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, those two, uh, uh, after the uh, Babylon, after, after the exile, uh, they were important to, to the story, but they didn't have any power. They were governors at best of Israel. And then, we, we know, we see, the Jewish reader would have said, you know what, through all those people, Abraham's lack of faith, and no firstborns, and, and, and the, the women with questionable pasts and, and presents, uh, evil kings and good kings, and, and then exile, the worst place we could have been as a country, God was faithful. Despite the rebellion, despite what was going on, God was faithful in the fullness of time as God worked this out in the history of Israel. Remember, one of the things we said about the Messiah is he's going to redo the history. He is going to, uh, let's see, how did I put it? It's, uh, full, uh, uh reenacts Israel's history. This, uh, this genealogy reenacts Israel's history, but does it better, with a better ending. That's a horrible ending, Babylon. And it really doesn't get much better for them past that. The rest of the names that are mentioned after Babylon, after uh, Zerubbabel, we have no idea who they are. They're not mentioned in the Bible anywhere. They're just people. They're, they're, there's no royalty uh, about them other than who their uh, grandparents were. They weren't kings. They weren't anything. They were just people, normal, everyday, trying to make it, paycheck to paycheck, people. 
in Jesus' line, in Jesus' family tree. So now we're stuck at the nadir uh, for a number of years, for now 400 years. After they come back from exile, after we read about it in Nehemiah and Ezra, and they write chronicles and they get the history uh, down, we hear nothing from God. The prophets are silent. 400 years of silence. And Matthew writes, the fullness of time came. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Christ. Just at the right time. And, and if, if, if we're doing a, we worked up to David and we dropped to uh, Jeconiah and the exile, I don't think we saw much improvement for a while. And then it was one of those crazy stock market days. We get to Jesus. It's kind of the way he introduces him. Notice the language, though, differ, differed, and he, Matthew's going to get to this. He's going to explain it. And they caught it. The readers caught this immediately. So-and-so fathered so-and-so, and, and Eliud fathered Eleazar, and Eleazar fathered Mathen, and Mathen fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. Matthew, you changed your pattern. So-and-so fathered so-and-so. Man fathered son. Man fathered son, maybe through a particular woman, but man fathered son until Jesus. Mary gave birth. It's clear to all the readers, hold up, Joseph didn't take any part in this. He's going to explain it. He was born of Mary. He was not fathered by Joseph. Some scholars say that's the reason that the, the, the women with the, uh, the interesting birth narratives, Rahab, Tamar, Bathsheba, are included because Jesus now has an interesting birth narrative where's the dad oh back here the dad was the father-in-law and 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 she was a a a prostitute Rahab and uh Ruth while she didn't do anything wrong uh it was an interesting birth story for for their first child how she met Boaz and how uh she laid at his feet uh on the threshing floor to uh, give him a uh, to 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 uh, show him that she wanted to to marry him. Interesting birth stories, right? And then we get to the most interesting birth story of all, and we'll talk about that next week. So, Michael, this family tree—you've bored us with history, and I hate history. Um, so, why have you told us all this history? There are a few things we can get from this family tree. First of all. Jesus' family tree shows that he came for everyone. That's the title of this series, this four-week Christmas series, A Savior for Everyone. And, and right off the bat, Matthew is telling us there is a family tree here. There are people in this line that should not be there. We're going to look around when we get to heaven and, and if we can have these thoughts when, they get, when we get there, and I don't know what, the, what that'll look like exactly, our, our brains, uh, but if we could have those thoughts, we will look around and we will say, hold up, there are people here that should not be here. 
And I think Matthew maybe will be the first one if, if, if Jesus doesn't say something first. Matthew will be the first one to say, did y'all not read my genealogy? There was a lot of people that shouldn't be there. That's because Jesus came for all of them. There was no perfect line to Jesus. Jesus' humanity was intricately, uh, uh, um, irrefutably, unchangeably wrapped up in our humanity. He was just as human as we are. He had the crazy uncles. He had the bad stories you didn't tell at Thanksgiving. He had that family tree that nobody wanted to talk about. He was just as human as we are. And so he came for humans just like us. Maybe you are the crazy uncle in your family. Um, crazy aunt. I, I won't ask for a show of hands who was a prostitute. Um, I'm going to leave that one alone. But, but maybe, maybe you're part of that family tree. Maybe you know them. All of those people Jesus came for. All of them. We've got to get that through our head. There's no one who doesn't belong in God's family, who doesn't fit in God's family, who's too sinful to be in God's family, or is too outside the mainstream of what we think should be in order to be in God's family. His family, family tree didn't fit. Second thing I think we can uh, grasp from this is your family tree does not affect your worthiness to God. Prior to giving birth to whoever gave birth to whoever gave birth to Obed, the folks that knew Rahab thought, well, she's just never going to be any more than a high-dollar prostitute. That's all she is. That's all she'll ever be. Can you, can, can you just see? I, I would have loved to have heard the conversation if there was one of God and the angels. Did you hear what they just said about Rahab? <laughs> Watch this. The walls of Jericho fall down. Well, first, the spies go in. They, they, they find Rahab, and she says, I'll help y'all. I'll hang this scarlet thread, this scarlet cord outside the window, and and uh, uh, that'll be a sign to you. And, and, and her house didn't fall. The walls did, but hers didn't. And she marries into the family. And, and, and on and on and on, people, you would say, David's no good anymore. He's an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon's no good anymore. Seriously, 700 wives? Why? But he, he's no good anymore. These, Manasseh, the most evil king ever, how could he produce anything good? doesn't mean they were good. It just means that what they produced down the line, maybe it was the next one, maybe it was a bunch of generations later, maybe it comes up in your generation. You are not bound to what they were. And you are useful to God regardless of who your parents were or grandparents or where you grew up or what side of the track etc etc your family tree does not affect your worthiness to God he loves you he loves your parents and he loves your grandparents and on and on and on but he loves you your family tree I think the next thing we can get out of this your family tree does not determine your life 
think about, if, the, if it could have been this way, if the human side of Jesus had said, I can't be the Messiah. Manasseh's in my family tree. I can't be the Messiah for, really, Rahab? Really, guys? Tamar? Uh, Uzziah? He was all right. These other guys, Jeconiah, Ahaz. Ahaz killed his son. Your family tree does not determine your life. This rings truer for folks. We've been in places where it was described to us as if one family member, they described it as a bucket of crabs. I've never been crabbing. I'll take the word for it. Bucket of crabs. There's a pile of them. And they will fight each other to get out of that bucket. And one will finally get a claw or a foot over the edge. And, and think, I'm going to escape. I'm going to make it. What happens? Another one grabs it and pulls it down, right? I'm going to get out. And, and, and none of them ever get out because they're pulling each other down. There are families like that. There are towns like that where one's going to make it. And they get pulled back. It's called a generational curse. And, and, and again, that's another sermon. But God stops generational curses. God stops the crabs from pulling the one crab back down in. And we see that. He, Jesus stopped generational curses in his family line. Lastly, your family tree is no longer destructive when you are grafted in by adoption. We're going to get a little theological here, a little doctrinal, a little Jesusal. It doesn't matter who your family is. When you've been adopted by God, leave father and mother and brother and sister and follow me, Jesus says. You have a new family. Your brothers, your sisters are now fellow Christians. Your brother is now Jesus. You have a new family. So I don't care how screwed up your family is. I don't care what it looks like then or what it looks like now. All I can tell you is that Jesus fixes those because he becomes, you become a part of his family. I'm not going to give a lot of details because it's not my story to tell. But our adopted children did not have the best home lives. And we know what they would currently be living in. We can see it thanks to the miracle of modern technology. But they are grafted into a new family. And we ain't perfect by any means. If you don't believe me, ask your neighbor. That's my neighbor's. <laughs> They're grafted in. They're part of a new family now. That no longer affects them because they are part of this family. You, when you trust Jesus Christ, are grafted into a new family. So whatever crazy uncle or promiscuous grandmother or any other situation you have in your family, it no longer matters because you are not a part of that family anymore. You're still connected, you're still uh, genetically related, but your family now is the family of God. And we can be so proud that we're a part of the family of God, joint heirs with Jesus. That's who we are. 
That's what this family tree tells us. So tell me history is boring. Genealogies are fun. So I ask you, are you grafted in this morning? Are you still caught up in this family, this name family that you have, or this genetic family that you have? They do not define you. Let this morning, let Jesus Christ, let him define you by grafting you into his family through adoption. You can experience that adoption this morning by giving your life to Jesus. You admit that you're a sinner and you repent of those sins. You turn from those sins. You believe who, uh, that Jesus is who he says he is. He's your only hope for salvation based on his final work on the cross where he took your sin and your punishment and rose on the third day from the grave. And then you choose to follow him. You, you uh, choose to make him, uh, we use so many phrases, Lord of your life, though, may be the best one. And he becomes your brother, your joint heir, and your new father is God. And he is a father that will never beat you, never abuse you. He will always love you. He will never hurt you. So whatever this life's family brought you, the eternal family that you are grafted into, with God as, his, as your father, he will never leave you or hurt you. And you can be a part of that family this morning. Pray with me. Thank you, God, that you continually graft us in. You, you, you don't break that covenant. You don't break that relationship. Lord, you are faithful to us. Thank you that our family doesn't matter, our, our history, our past. God, you wipe all of that clean when we become a part of your family. And I pray this morning that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their father, it's just a concept and not a relationship that they will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior today, and you will work on hearts as we worship you. I pray that we would all see uh, that we can let go of whatever past we believe is holding us back, and we can climb out of that bucket and not let the ghosts of our past pull us back in. God, we pray for deliverance today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can join a new family today. You can respond by giving your heart to Jesus, by trusting him for salvation. You can uh, be baptized. You can join our church. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you have other decisions to make. I'll be happy to pray with you. I'll be over here on the left. Uh, Tom will be over here to my right, your left, if you'd like to pray with him, or the rails are open if you'd like to come and just give it directly to the Lord. But whatever it is this morning, you come and you pray to your Father who wants to give you every good gift as you do business with him as we sing this morning. Let's stand.